0: Thank you, Cindy. Alistair Begg has said that we can summarize 1 Peter chapter 1 with three words. Believing, belonging, and behaving. Now in terms of believing, look again at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Or again, this focus on believing is seen in verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, ye you, who through excuse me, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, One of the great expositors of the Bible, a man by the name of a. T. Robertson, a great Greek scholar, said that this phrase actually the way it's structured is saying to us that we are the through Him believers in God. Believing. Belonging. In terms of belonging, as humans, you and I have a need to belong. We need to belong to one another. We need to belong to our friends, we need to belong to our families, to our culture and country, even to our world. There is a sense in which the need for belonging is primal, fundamental to our sense of happiness and well-being. There's a 22-year-old Yale graduate who, uh, not long after she wrote something, uh, was involved in a car accident and lost her life. But just before that, in a meditation that she had written, she had these words. We don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say that that's what I want in life. What is the opposite of loneliness? Is it possibly belonging? I think so. And Peter addresses this need from the very beginning of chapter 1. In verse 1, he addresses his recipients as elect exiles. Not just called, but chosen. In verse 14, he speaks of them as children the family terms. And in verse 18, he uses the language of Isaiah. And he says, they, and and that's we also, we belong to God because we have been redeemed or ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Believing, belonging, and yes, behaving. Peter reminds us in verse 12 that in spite of, and actually because of, the suffering that is involved in our salvation, there are some things that we need to be doing. As I stated last Sunday, faith or belief presumes action. James said, you show me your faith apart from doing anything and I'll show you by what I do the faith that I have. In verse 14 again of chapter 1, we're told that we are to fight against any attempt to conform or to be conformed to the passions that Peter actually describes as our former ignorance. Verse 15, we're called to be holy. Set apart holy in all of our conduct. Verse 17. We're to conduct ourselves with fear and awe. Verse 22. We are to speak, or excuse me, we are to be about the task of purifying ourselves by means of the obedience to the faith. You see... Living the Christian life, according to this handbook on Christian living, 1 Peter, is all about believing, belonging, and behaving. And Peter is not alone in this. In his letter to the Christians at Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, we see again the idea of behaving and belonging as Paul writes, rather, speaking the truth in love, We're to grow up in every way unto Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, it's community-based, belonging, being a part of the body. And it certainly is addressing our behavior. We're to be about the task of growing up. And and we're to be also making sure that the body, and that's the church, the body is able to grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, it's about growing up. We plural are the body singular of Christ and we plural are to be about the the task of doing what's necessary for the spiritual growth of the body the church now numbers would be great But I think that the admonition of Scripture is far more in the line that we are to be doing everything we can to help one another grow spiritually. And and I guess that's my question. Is that how you would describe what we do in this church? Are the things that we're doing contributing to the spiritual growth of our members? And that's what our text for today is addressing. So let's look at the text. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed You have tasted that the Lord is good. May God add His blessing to our reading of these three verses. And I'm not going to go beyond there this morning. See, because one of the concerns I have is that I believe that there are a lot of people who have settled into what they believe is a status quo Christianity. And there is no such thing as status quo Christianity. Being present in this building does not equal salvation. You can't get to heaven by holding on to the shoestrings of your parents or your grandparents. And if we're not growing, we're dying. I have a plant in my office, and after church, you're all invited to come back and look at it if you would like. When it came to my office several weeks ago, it was dying. I brought it from the house to my office. And it is now growing to the point that you can almost take a picture of it in the morning And take another picture of it late in the day and see the difference in the growth, how quickly it is growing. Why? Well, first of all, it's getting sunlight right there by the window where it's sitting. Second of all, it's getting some tender love and care. I take care of my plants. I water them very well and then I wait until the soil is nice and dry before I water them again. Most plants die because they get too much water. But they're getting the care that they need. The soil has nutrition. But when those plants weren't growing, I assumed that they were dying. And so I brought it down to the office away from my wife. Um, I'll have you know it's the only place I can put it. And, and get in that flight. And it's, it's now growing. Now, Peter's assumption in these verses is that the people that he is writing to are alive, but they're not growing as they should be. And so starting with the last verse of the paragraph, he writes to them, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And Peter didn't write that word if to sow doubts in the minds of his readers. It's what is known in the Greek language as a first class conditional sentence. The condition is assumed. This type of phrase could just as well be translated, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. And yet that might even be missing the point. But the reality is, there is a taste that starts our growth. Now think about this with me for a little bit. Could it be that Peter wanted the readers to contemplate whether or not in fact they have experienced that kind of kindness of the Lord? And he was confident actually that the answer would be affirmative. Yes, they had. We don't want to remove the emergency or the demand that Peter wanted his readers to consider. But what we have here is an allusion to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 states, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. You see, the, Psalm of, the theme of Psalm 34 is that when the righteous are afflicted and suffering, they can be confident that God will deliver them from all of their troubles. Last night, I posted on Facebook three years ago yesterday my friend Jim Small passed away and yesterday and still this morning I have no idea what's going on with Rick the last report is that he is still in an induced coma that a ventilator is doing all of the breathing for him and some name of the machine is doing all of the pumping of the blood It was described as a very grave situation and a very massive heart attack. And I posted in there that sometimes we don't understand the darkness. We have questions that we struggle with. But in the midst of the darkness and in in the midst of all of the struggles that you and I might have, I posted on there, God is still good. Mm -hmm. And someday the light will be there to help me to understand the darkness that has been in my life. Peter wants to remind us who are suffering and his readers, that you and I can find encouragement from this message. It's a call to find hope in God in the midst of our struggles. And personally, I find it easy to believe that the themes of Psalm 34 had a powerful impact on Peter. By the time he wrote this, he had in fact denied the Lord. And they've been called back. Which brings us back to the main point of this verse. As believers, you and I need to be yearning, aching, hungering for the Lord. If indeed we have tasted or experienced His kindness. I think that's why one writer has lumped together verses 22 of chapter 1 through verse 3 of chapter 2 because when we have experienced a church when we have experienced a fellowship of believers who love one another earnestly who truly practice sincere love then there will be a longing to grow to grow spiritually there will be that, that taste of the beauty of the Lord And those who pursue God ardently have indeed experienced that sweetness. Christian growth for Peter is not a mere call to duty. It's not something that is just a call to live a moral life. It's something that flows from the experience of the Lord's kindness. You know, once you've tasted something that you really love, you want more of it, don't you? We were trying to figure out what we were going to have for lunch today. And I said to my wife, well, text your daughter and see what you want so we can stop at the store. Oh, I don't care. Well, we knew David was going to be with us today. And so I told her, I said, text David and see what he would like to have. And David said, you know, I haven't had a good steak for a while. So I went into Murphy's and I told the guy back there, I said, pick me out four good steaks that I can throw on the grill when we get home from church. Because David has tasted a good steak and wants more. And when we have tasted and experienced something good, we too are going to want more. And that's why, going back to the first part of, of these three verses, the question has to be, why might we not be growing? Why is, is there a reason why we might not be growing spiritually? What are some of the factors that can stunt growth? And I think that's how Peter begins. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now if you're looking at the New International Version or the Revised Standard or even some other translation, it very likely reads right there, therefore, put away. Or having put away, therefore. And I don't know why the English Standard Version starts out with just simply so put away. Because Peter's being emphatic about this. Based on what we've already talked about in chapter 1. Based on the fact that we have learned about believing and behaving and belonging. There are some things that we need to chuck. We need to get rid of. It's actually the word that we would use today if we were talking about the behavior of the garbage man when they used to take the garbage can and chuck the garbage into the back of the truck. Now a little machine reaches out and picks it up and dumps it and puts it back. Chuck it! Get rid of it! And notice what he says. Malice, deception, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Because of the new birth, there is a new life that's demanded. Now why did Peter begin with a call to get away with these evil attitudes and actions? And I think probably because those are the kinds of things that destroy love. They destroy our responsibility to love others, which was the main idea of the previous section. Peter's already referred to the need to be loving one another with a sincere love. And though later, starting with verse 11 through chapter 4, he's going to talk to us about how we should be behaving toward the outsiders, the non-believers. These five sins tear at the unity of the church. Ripping away any threads of love that could be there to hold us together. The first 20 names is malice. Just wickedness in general. Ill will towards somebody else. There goes the unity. And isn't that what... We used to sing a song, and it was a very scriptural song. The song went something like this. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And how's it go on? Our prayer should be that our unity would be restored because they will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. That's based on John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give to you, said Jesus, that you love one another just as I've loved you. And then he goes on to say, you're also to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so he goes on. Deceit and hypocrisy. They're closely related because of the degree of dishonesty that's entered into the community when that happens. You know, he says, sincere love, that's to be the greatest goal. Then deceit and hypocrisy introduce a spirit that destroys that trust necessary for growth. Envy, also contrary to love. You can't desire what's best for the other when you want what they have. And then slander. You know, slander is not just limited to spreading false stories about other people. Slander, listen to me, slander also involves fault finding in other people. Those well timed words, it might be true, but those well timed words that carry insinuations about others that are often not necessary. I did it in a way, and I didn't mean to. When we were talking about cooking at the house, and I said, well, I do it this way. And the insinuation was, so we don't do it good enough? And it was something as simple as a head of lettuce. I opened the package and I said, let me show you how I do it. Banged it on the sink to break off that back part. Pulled it out. Pulled the outer pieces off. sat it on the plate. One cut down the middle. I said, there, it's ready to go. And my daughter said, that's how we do it at camp when we're cooking. I was simply saying how I did things, but it wasn't necessary. And by doing that, it became a way of slandering. I remember the words of my grandfather. And then the words of my father. And then the words that I spoke to my own kids. If you don't have something good to say, keep your mouth open shut and church if we don't have something good to say about one another please keep your mouth shut so that this community can know that we are striving to be a community that loves and encourages and supports one another you know what has killed the church more than anything else And I am serious about this. That's not the way we used to do it. Who cares how you used to do it? Unless we want to not do it, because obviously something that's being done hasn't been right. Because I can remember a day when the majority of this auditorium was full, and I've only been in this area since 2004. You don't change situations by doing the same old things, but doing it somehow in a better way. If we're going to be doing some changing, we need to be chucking some things. And then last but certainly least, we need to think again about what is the nourishment that we can have that sustains growth. And Peter writes to us and says, like newborn babies. Now I've got a perfect example to give you that is hot off the press. Did you hear some fussing and crying just a little bit ago? Have you noticed that the fussing and the crying isn't there? Do you know what replaced the fussing and the crying? A bottle in the mouth. That word long or crave, that's a strong one. It's used of the ardent desire of believers that we should have that that actually have for God from the Old Testament. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Babies will long, for milk that will sustain pure uh, bodily growth. And similarly, you and I as believers need to be desiring that pure spiritual milk for growth, for salvation. Peter makes a play on words, but I'm sorry you didn't see that because you don't read Greek. The word he uses for pure is the word adalos. That A at the beginning is the negative in the Greek language. And the word that he used for deceit was the word dalos. He said, don't, don't have any dalos. In fact, be longing for the adalos, the pure milk. And the reason he gives them for craving that is so that by feeding on it, they can grow up into salvation. Now here's my question for you. How much time do you spend reading and studying God's Word? You say, well, I'm not much of a reader. Okay, how much time in comparison to other things that you're reading do you read the Bible? How much time in comparison to other activities do you spend doing those things that will help you grow spiritually? You know, when schools first started in our country, you know how they learned the A's and B's? By Bible stories. That might not have been such a bad thing, huh? We have people today who have read everything. All kinds of junk and have never opened the Bible and then they have the audacity to say, well, I think God believes this. Or I think God says this. Well, show me in the Bible where it might say that. I'll be glad to look with you. Remember what Peter said as he began? Verses 22 and 23, having purified your soul's By your obedience to the truth. Verse 23, you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. So are you growing or are you dying? Are you purifying your soul by obedience to the truth? The living and abiding Word of God? I can't tell you that I understand everything that I read in this book. I don't. My son and I are in an in-depth discussion right now reading other books, trying to help one another out, to try to come to an understanding of all that appears to be violence in the Old Testament directed by God. The destruction of peoples. I I can't give a good answer to Him. And so we're digging deeper and reading. I can tell you though, that what I understand from this book makes my life much better. I can tell you how much I have gained by initiating a practice of reading God's Word every day, Monday to Friday. That's how my schedule goes, by the way. I don't include Saturday and Sunday so that if something happens during the week, I can get caught back up on Saturday and Sunday. So that I am reading the Old Testament through twice a year and the New Testament through four times every year. And I've done that now for two years and four months. And I can't begin to tell you how much I have gained from that, even though I've got... An undergraduate degree from a Bible college, two master's degrees from a seminary, and a doctoral degree. I am gaining by reading God's Word. Let me close with this <laughs> it comes from a lay theologian. Okay? Somebody by the name of Mark Twain. <laughs> Here's what Mark Twain said. Most people are bothered by those passages in the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in the Scripture which trouble me the most are those which I do understand. So I ask you, church, Can we commit ourselves to reading and studying God's Word so that we can be growing spiritually, that is? Let's pray.